Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you buy something on Amazon, do you think a lot about what happens next? Yeah, but that's probably an occupational hazard. Jay Green covers Amazon for The Washington Post. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I do think about it because I've been to these warehouses and these distribution centers. But, I, you know, if you were to ask me if my neighbors thought about it, I could almost guarantee you the answer is no. When Jay clicks Add to Cart, he knows all too well the staggering logistical effort it's going to take to deliver him whatever he's ordered, like magic. He knows about the software that figures out how his items are going to get boxed up and sent off. And he knows about the people who are going to do the boxing up on his behalf. Jay's seen them at work. What is it like inside one of these warehouses? Oh, it's a hive of activity. They're pretty big, right? They're, they're massive, yeah. And, you know, at any given moment, there are more than a thousand workers stowing items as they come into the warehouse, picking them as people's orders come in, boxing them up, um, and putting them on trucks. Jay also knows the workers in these hives are alarmingly efficient. That's because Amazon's tracking every employee minute by minute using these handheld computers workers have that compile their orders. And that efficiency, it's called making rate. It's got a cost. If you don't hit your rate, uh, it can affect your ability to move up at the at the plant, at the warehouse. Uh, it can affect your pay at some, and to some measure at least, you know, how much you might get a raise or not. Honestly, one of the complaints is honestly using the bathroom. Uh, you know, a lot of workers will talk about how the bathrooms are far enough away that, um, you know, heeding the, the call of nature can actually eat into your productivity. And these workers are measured on their productivity. By now, these stories are familiar. Journalists like Jay have documented the grueling realities of Amazon's warehouses for years. The funny thing is, all that reporting has done very little to alter the hunger that the rest of us have for stuff. And during the pandemic, that hunger has only grown. That's exactly right. In fact, Amazon uh, has added, in the first nine months of last year, it added 400,000 employees. It, it dramatically Whoa. ramped up. And, and it wasn't just even adding employees, although that certainly is true. I mean, it added new buildings. Uh, it added new airplanes to deliver goods. It, it took advantage of a down market to expand rapidly. The Amazon Fulfillment Center opened its brand new facility in Bessemer not even a year ago, and already employees are unhappy. But one of Amazon's newest warehouses is where their push for efficiency at all costs has just hit a snag. Now the Fulfillment Center's 5,000 employees are going to start voting by mail today to potentially form the first workers' union for Amazon employees in the nation. Do you think when Amazon opened a warehouse in Bessemer, Alabama, they anticipated what would happen next? No. No, I, I, I don't think Amazon had thought about it at all. They have not had a union vote at a warehouse 
in uh, more than six years. So no, I can't imagine they thought this was going to happen at all. Today on the show, can a warehouse in Alabama be the unionization tipping point for Amazon? I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick with us. This episode is brought to you by SAP. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI will not help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos, but it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia, or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks, or automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology, real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. I'm wondering if you can tell me the story of how Amazon ended up opening a warehouse in Bessemer, Alabama, because it just opened, right? It opened in March of, uh, of last year. And, you know, uh, I think a lot of this actually has to do with the pandemic. And as I mentioned, you know, when the pandemic hit, the speed with which Amazon moved to open warehouses um, just was dialed up. Early in the pandemic, it may be hard to remember, but Amazon was having a ton of difficulty meeting uh, the demand for its services. And so one of the things it did was race to open up these warehouses that had been on sort of the long list of, uh, of, of places it would open. Uh, and so Bessemer was among those, those facilities that was opened very quickly at the start of the pandemic to, to meet that need. Alabama doesn't seem like the place that would inspire a labor movement for Amazon's warehouse workers. Workers here are less likely to be in a union than in other states. And Alabama is a right-to-work state. That means workers don't actually have to join the union or pay dues if they don't want to. That weakens unions in the long term. But Jay says it could actually work in the organizers' favor during this Amazon vote. If the union can convey to these workers that Amazon uh, won't take their their pay, you know, won't, won't take a, a chunk of their pay from their paychecks as, you know, if a union comes in place, which is the, the very definition of a right-to-work state, it might actually be easier for the union to convince these folks to, to join, right? In other words, you, you get collective action for free. Correct. I think it's worth talking about who the workers are at this warehouse, because my understanding is that they are majority black. A lot of them are women. And that also the union that they're working with, a retail workers union, it has been very involved in civil rights action. And so that seems to be a big part of what's happening in Bessemer. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, the Amazon won't disclose the actual percentage of workers uh, who are people of color, um, but the union says at least 80% of, uh, of the workers in the warehouse are black. Um, and they have framed it uh, as much as a civil rights issue as it is a labor rights one. And they talk about issues of respect and dignity. Um, you know, Amazon actually pays pretty well for the region. Uh, it, it starts workers a little over uh, $15 an hour. The minimum wage in Alabama is a little over 7 bucks an hour, 7.25 an hour, which is the federal minimum wage. And so 
when I've talked with workers about why they're engaged in this fight, I mean, some certainly say we'd like to have more money, but a lot of it is about some of the issues we talked about before, which is, um, you know, the the you know the ability to use the bathroom without having to worry that they might get docked some sort of pay or, or at least not have the ability to uh, rise in the organization if they just aren't working as quickly as Amazon requires. That sounds like issues of respect. That's exactly what it is. And, I, and you hear that, that word over and over again with a lot of these workers. So walk me through the timeline here. My understanding is that in November, the workers notified the National Labor Relations Board that they wanted to move forward. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So they notified the NLRB that they wanted to hold an election uh, and filed paperwork to do that. Amazon then had to reply to that. And, and Amazon's initial reply was that uh, they didn't think the workers had had signed enough cards. Typically, you're supposed to have about 30 percent of the bargaining unit signing cards saying that they wanted to be, wanted to be represented by the union. Amazon also said it wanted to have an election well after Christmas. And actually, it wanted to have the hearing well after Christmas because the Christmas rush is obviously important to Amazon. Um, and so they wanted to a, you know, delay and extend. Uh, the NLRB basically denied that. Uh, in December, the NLRB heard the case. In January, it said the vote was going to begin on February 8th. And uh, the NLRB also decided that the vote was going to be a mail-in uh, process, which is common now in the pandemic era, but prior to the pandemic was quite uncommon. And so that process now started uh, on Monday, February 8th, and it's a seven-week process in which ballots will be sent to the 5,805 people who are part of the bargaining unit that the NLRB, NLRB determined, and they have seven weeks to return those ballots. You can hear how Amazon has just been really resisting every step along the way here, trying to delay votes, trying to say, you know, you don't have enough signatures here, not enough cards. Can you just take me inside what it was like in the warehouse as Amazon tried to convince workers voting for a union wasn't the way to go? Yeah, sure. The, the And I've talked to some of these workers, too. I haven't actually been in the warehouse. Amazon's not letting reporters in, uh, to my knowledge, right now. But what the workers tell me is they've been uh, barraged with text messages uh, and emails. Like from, how many text messages? One worker told me they're getting as many as five a day. Five a day? Saying what? It, they're saying basically, uh, you know, stick with the winning team. Uh, that, that's a, a direct quote. Um, you know, uh, they want the workers to reject the union, and they're and they're saying it in, uh, I think, a fairly um, saccharine way. Uh, you know, we're great together. Uh, the they have um, flyers all over the warehouse, including uh, in the bathrooms. And so, when you go into the bathroom and to uh, have a moment of privacy and you close the bathroom stall on the back side of the door of the bathroom stall is a flyer that uh, discourages joining the union. And, and the, the message is uh, about, you know, um, not letting, you know, not, not paying dues. Uh, and it says, where will your dues go? Which is sort of an interesting message put inside of a bathroom stall. <laughs> um, 
And then they also have engaged in what is a fairly common practice, but it is referred to uh, in the in the parlance of union uh, fights as uh, captive audience sessions. And and really what it is, is workers are required, mandated to sit through these meetings, which can be a half an hour or even longer, uh, where they get a PowerPoint presentation or a video or whatnot, essentially discouraging them from joining the union. You know, and for a company that cares a whole lot about productivity, the hit to productivity uh, in, in pulling workers into these sessions has got to be not insignificant. Jay says it's not just Amazon's PR campaign that's working against the push to unionize. Some employees just don't see the need for collective bargaining. They're loyal, and they know their wages and benefits are better than average. Jay spoke to some of these workers who worried that an intermediary would just get in the way. Carla actually had been a union member in a previous job. She was a uh, seventh and eighth grade science teacher. and she was supportive of the union. In this job, she's not. And there are a couple of reasons. I think the first one is is a very personal experience for Carla. She, early on in the job, two months after she started, she had a seizure at work. And uh, she was taken to the hospital. And it turned out she had brain cancer. And she, uh, as a worker, she had um, three and a half months leave while she underwent surgery and treatments. Uh, and she's now cancer-free, but the bills were over $100,000, and Amazon's health insurance covered most of that. Uh, And so she felt like, you know, she didn't need a union because Amazon was treating her well. And she worried that the union would get in between her and and her managers and those moments where she really wanted to communicate with the company. And so for her, the union seems like an impediment rather than something that would help her out. Ideally, how would the warehouse change tomorrow if the union was bargaining? Well, if the union was bargaining prior to a contract, Lord knows. Right? I mean, I, I think you could anticipate many of the same sort of tactics you're seeing currently uh, to try to discourage folks from supporting the union. But the moment they have a contract... Um, there are a number of things that could change. I think one of them that the union would certainly press are, you know, are the issues of, of productivity. At a warehouse, those, those little handheld computers I mentioned, they, they record what is known as rate. And rate in an Amazon warehouse is the speed with which you do your job. And you have to hit a certain number if you're picking packages, if you're stowing packages, if you're boxing packages. And that's always been an issue for the workers in Amazon warehouses across the world. And so if a union could uh, negotiate rate, that would be a huge, huge difference. And I think that's probably the biggest one. You know, you might also see things like um, negotiations over uh, what the workers like to call hazard pay. But in the pandemic, Amazon gave a bonus at the start to workers of $2 an hour, and they rolled that back in June, I'm certain workers at the facility would welcome a $2 an hour raise, particularly during uh, the pandemic. And as we've seen in recent months, uh, you know, the the rate of infection and illness uh, is is growing uh, and is higher than it was uh, when uh, you know, at the start of the pandemic, and, and yet Amazon hasn't uh, restored that bonus pay. And so I think you might see some of that as well. One thing I've been trying to puzzle out is that Amazon workers have been talking about unionizing for a long time. You know, this spring, Amazon workers in Staten Island 
were talking about unionizing. There, there was a sick out. But it didn't happen. And in fact, one of the most outspoken workers was fired. So I just wonder what's different about Bessemer. Like, what's different this time? In my mind, it's hard to underestimate the impact of the pandemic. Amazon has opened very, very quickly, you know, these warehouses across the country. Um, It's hired workers at an astonishingly fast rate. It's, you know, those workers are working as hard as you could imagine because more and more people are shopping from home. Um, And they're doing it while, you know, their, their lives and their health is under threat because of the pandemic. And I think all those things have sort of come together to create this this situation where, uh, you know, a union might be able to take hold in a way it wouldn't have a year ago. When we come back, pretty soon, Amazon's going to have to decide just how anti-union they want to be. In the latest season of Blind Spot from WNYC Studios and the History Channel, join host Kai Wright as he travels back to a pivotal moment in the history of this country. Decades before COVID-19, a virus tore through some of our most vulnerable communities while the wider world looked away. Throughout the season, you'll meet people who demanded that they and their illness be seen. Mothers, children, doctors, nurses, nuns, and sex workers— all leading to a woman who literally helped change the definition of AIDS. Blind Spot, the plague in the shadows. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, listeners. I'm Gabrielle Sierra, host of the Why It Matters podcast from the Council on Foreign Relations. Look, the world of international affairs can feel overwhelming and complex, but it also shapes our lives every single day. So it pays to know what's going on out there. Why It Matters is a foreign policy podcast for the rest of us. And with a little bit of humor and a lot of questions, we're here to break down global topics and bring the world home to you. So join us every two weeks on Why It Matters wherever you listen. So voting is going to be happening for weeks. When are we going to know what happened? So the uh, balloting ends at the end of March, and then there will be a count. And again, because we live in pandemic times, the count will actually be uh, broadcast uh, via Zoom by the NLRB. And Amazon's lawyers and the union's lawyers will watch. Oh, they're literally going to count one by one? That is my understanding, yeah. Wow. Because... Uh, both Amazon and the union have the right to challenge ballots. You know, you could imagine an Amazon lawyer saying uh, that signature uh, isn't clear or there's no signature on that envelope, throw it out. This vote is happening as Amazon is going through big changes as a company. Jeff Bezos is stepping back from his day-to-day management role. The European Union has brought antitrust charges against Amazon. And the U.S. is investigating, too. The one thing you'd certainly do see, and it started last week, is that there are a number of members of Congress who have sent letters to to Jeff Bezos and to his successor, Andy Jassy, to say, we're keeping an eye on this. And it isn't so much that 
this is an antitrust issue because it's it doesn't appear to be. But um, the displeasure that some of the members of Congress have had with Amazon over its uh, its engagement with the antitrust committees um, and also some of its actions that many you know many of the members of Congress Congress believe uh, are anti-competitive. Those concerns spill over into this as well. And so, you know, you'll see senators like Cory Booker um, and uh, and others, and you'll see, you know, Bernie Sanders, and you'll see uh, representatives. I spoke with uh, Andy Levin of Michigan, who's uh, been a long a supporter of labor in this country. And they've sent letters to Bezos to basically say, We're, we have an eye on you. You better let these workers you know, do what they want to do. Uh, you shouldn't stand in the way of their efforts to unionize if that's what they want. And so that's sort of the way I think you see that playing out. Am Amazon is aggressively fighting this. I don't know where things go from here. I think their their big fear is that, um, you know, this will expand beyond. Uh, and so, you know, it's an interesting sort of political calculus to to sort of decide how aggressively you stop this union uh, drive in Bessemer, but also uh, if you go too aggressively, maybe you alienate customers uh, and invite, you know, Congress and others to to um, elevate the status of this drive. Yeah, but I guess I, I can hear what you're thinking a little bit there, which is you're seeing some support for this union. You know, you see Bernie Sanders sending folks pizza when they have a rally, stuff like that. But you're seeing that Amazon has so much skin in the game here and is willing to really fight. And it sounds like that's giving you some pause for thinking about what happens next. I guess I, I, I'm curious to see how much how much more volatile it can get. Um, and I just don't know the answer to that. Um, you know, Amazon certainly is is fighting vigorously to keep this union out of this warehouse. But if the union wins, you should absolutely expect other warehouses to start organizing drives as well. And you may, it may even be starting already. I, I have not heard of others, but it wouldn't surprise me that um, members in warehouses and other parts of the country are, are going to school on this. And I think the calculus that Amazon has to figure out is... How aggressively do they work to shut this down? And if, you know, in doing so, does it shut down efforts elsewhere or does it encourage efforts elsewhere? And I honestly don't know how they're thinking inside the company about that. Jay Green, thank you so much for joining me. Mary, it was great to be here. Thank you. Jay Green covers Amazon for The Washington Post. And I should add, The Washington Post is owned by Jeff Bezos. Here's what Jay had to say when I asked him about that. I always say it, what I do is my job and I, there's a mandate for me to do it uh, with accuracy, with clarity. You know, uh, my goal is to cover Amazon the way my colleagues cover Apple or Google or the Pentagon or the White House, and that is without fear or favor. And I've been able to do that since I've been here and I've never once had anyone tell me not to. All right. That's the show. What Next is produced by Davis Land, Daniel Hewitt, Mary Wilson, and Elena Schwartz. Alicia Montgomery and Allison Benedict are our big bosses. Stay tuned to this feed because tomorrow, Lizzie O'Leary will be here with What Next TBD. That's our Friday show. We are taking the long weekend, so I will be back here 
on Tuesday. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I'm Dahlia Lithwick, and I'm host of Amicus, Slate's podcast about the law and the U.S. Supreme Court. We are shifting into high gear, coming at you weekly with the context you need to understand the rapidly changing legal landscape. The many trials of Donald J. Trump, judicial ethics, arguments and opinions at SCOTUS. We are tackling the big legal news with clarity and insight every single week. New Amicus episodes every Saturday, wherever you listen. <laughs> 